we have people who are only looking out for themselves and they aren't actively developing employees to take their place or to do their job really well. And I feel like it's a manager's job, it's a leader's job to be good listeners, to figure out where people want to go and then to clear the roadblocks and make it happen for them. So my job is more than just the things that I do, but it's also how am I helping people get to where their potential can lead them. And that is the opposite of allowing someone to feel like they're pigeonholed. Welcome to the Speak Podcast. I'm Evan Troxell. Each episode, Neil Pan, Cormac Phelan, and I have a casual conversation about all things architecture, and we invite you to listen in as we talk about everything in the profession, both the good and the bad. Maybe you're considering a career in architecture, you're still in school, or you've been around the blocks of Corbusier's City of Tomorrow more times than you'd like to admit. Join us in the studio as we stand around the water cooler and talk about why we love our chosen profession. It's time for some Arcaspeak. Welcome to episode 54 of the Arcaspeak podcast. I'm Neil Pan. I'm Evan Troxell. And I'm Cormac Phelan. And first up, this show is sponsored by ArcCat and NCARB. We'll talk more later about them. But first, we got a couple of friends of the show. Friends of the show is back. That's right. Uh, and so uh, first friend of the show for this episode is Emily Grandstaff Rice. And so we just want to say thank you to Emily for uh, becoming a friend of the show. I've actually met Emily at the Equity by Design Conference in San Francisco last year. So a uh, real nice person and uh, glad to have her on as uh, a friend of the show. And our second friend of the show uh, for this episode is Craig James. And uh, Craig uh, stepped up and uh, donated $50, actually. So he, he, he probably gets his name read about 10 different times on the show. So we'll, we'll <laughs> come back to mention Craig a few more times uh, throughout this episode for his donation. So thanks again for Craig and Emily for uh, donating to the show. It helps uh, keep the show going, and we really do appreciate it. So thank you to both of you for becoming friends of the show. And we also got a little note, I think, through the, through the feedback form on the website from Nicholas Green, who has started up a new blog, and it's really aimed at architecture students, and it is called upwhenyouart.com. And the blog has a lot of good articles on it about just the student and the studio life and uh, what it is and, and what it isn't and, and kind of just how to deal with it. So I think... It was worth mentioning for sure. I checked it out, and I think that um, the the name "Up When You Are" it means like you know it's kind of referring to the the all nighter kind of aspect of working in the studio when you're in school. So it's got some great time management stuff on there. It's got some kind of reality check kind of stuff, like get up and take a walk, kind of a you know just just giving you different perspectives from someone who's already been through architecture school. And so I'm, I'm hoping it, it really blossoms into a, a huge resource for students um, so that and, and, and potential students who are going to be going into the into college. Um, I hope hopefully high school students will find it as well. So we'll do our little part here and put the word out. So everybody check out up when you are dot com 
and, uh, and tell Nick that you heard about it on the show. So what are we talking about this week? All right, so we're going to be talking about getting pigeonholed, and getting pigeonholed really refers to monotony, right? It refers to getting stuck in a rut, always doing the same thing, uh, project after project, year after year. And I hear it a lot through the, the people that I talk to that, that either practice near me, around me, uh, online, that, that they feel like they're not growing in their job responsibilities that maybe they got, I guess we'll talk about this, but you know, maybe they got so good at something that they just keep being asked to do it over and over again. So we might talk about some strategies on how to get out of that and, and what it really means, I think, just to be pigeonholed. So that's, well, that's our topic for tonight. I, I think it also, at least in my case, one of the things I wanted to bring up is when I graduated college, actually, I guess I should start before that, I never really envisioned what exactly I'd be doing after college or for the rest of my career. But I, I through school, you rarely spend any time doing uh, residential sort of architecture in school. You're always doing buildings of one nature or another, but always some sort of public um, and, and typically larger scale. Sometimes we did some smaller scale projects in school as well, but I never really envisioned myself doing residential work and residential in, in single family type housing and certainly not in the production world, which is what I spent a, a great deal of my career doing. And so when I got out of school, there really weren't any jobs. This was in the early 90s. The economy wasn't that great. And so um, it, took a, it took a number of months before I was able to find a job. And, and really, it was like the first person to offer me something uh, or a, a job was like, okay, yeah, I'll go do that. So I started working um, with this small firm. And we were doing some, uh, a couple of small residential development projects. And uh, about five months later, I was offered a job at another firm. Uh, doing basically the same thing, but actually getting some benefits. The the first job was like, here we'll we'll pay you hourly, and that's it. You know, you, you get no benefits, nothing. And it was like, okay, sure, I'll take that. I, I need some work. And uh, anyway, long story short, I started at that firm, stayed and and went to this other one with benefits, and ended up staying there for almost eight years. And it basically pigeonholed my career to a certain extent. I mean, I was perfectly happy doing it. Uh, so it wasn't like I was, uh, you know, not uh, unwillingly doing this, but I had kind of visioned myself in school doing uh, larger and more commercial type work. And then because of the economy and just trying to take a job, I got good at doing residential and residential production work. And I spent, you know, eight to 10, actually many years after that, doing that type of work. So I, I kind of was like a not really a forced pigeonhole, but it kind of fell into my career that was very d- different than I originally thought it was going to be. And I was okay with that. So it, it wasn't that that wasn't what I wanted or didn't, wasn't okay with doing. Cause I think if I, if I wasn't, I would have made a change. And I think we'll, we'll talk a little more about maybe how you can change that. But it just seemed to me that it wasn't initially what I thought I was going to do, ended up enjoying it, did okay with it, and kind of, you know, even to this day, I'm still doing residential work. So it's a different sort of pigeonhole than maybe getting pigeonholed in a particular job, doing a specific task in a, in a firm, which I'm sure we'll talk about as well. I mean, you, you mentioned coming out of school, you weren't sure 
what you wanted to do. You really didn't do any residential or things like that. It started me thinking, okay, when we come out of school, do we really know anything about the profession other than what we've kind of went into school with a preconceived notion in the first place? I mean, we think about, you know, oh, I'm going to do all of these big buildings. Or I'm going to do these beautiful houses. Or we're going to do this or that and stuff like that. And they, you graduate, you go into an office who may or may not be doing glamorous work or, you know, something else, but you're not going to be starting all the way at the top doing all these great glamorous um, projects and things like that. You're going to be working at, you know, Hey, we've got you, we need you to do presentation, um, uh, media, or we need you to do, um, toilet room plans or things like that, you know? And so early on I can see where, uh, people start to get disillusioned and, you know, then they kind of, you know, get fall into this pigeonhole. Do I, you know, am I going to do this? And they kind of, you know, worry that they're going to get stuck. So I know that's a little bit different than the pigeonholing that we're really kind of talking about. But, you know, I was just thinking, you know, Neil, you know, you, you said when you were in school, you never really thought about the residential. I mean, I don't, do any of us really know what we're getting into when we do this? <laughs> well, it, you know, that's a great question. And at least in my case, uh, very probably more of a unique case than many people. Uh, when I first came out of high school, I started working for an architect. And so I spent a, like almost four years working for architects uh, and attending a junior college locally and then moving on to, uh, to Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo and, and finishing up there. So uh, in my case, I did actually have at least some sense because I'd been spending uh, several years working for uh, two different firms, actually almost three during that time. So I got a, a different experience than probably many students that may come straight out of high school, go to college and then enter the workforce for the first time. So I at least had some sense, but I think a lot of people probably don't. And I think the first several years of working out of school in a firm are really probably the toughest years because you really don't know. You are getting pigeonholed, right? You come out of school, you probably have some talents that uh, some of the uh, people that working in the firm, that this is probably less true today than it was uh, 10 or 15 years ago when many people in firms didn't really know CAD or didn't know some of the new software like you know, Photoshop and, you know, SketchUp didn't even exist 15, well, a little more than 15 years ago. So people didn't know these programs. So when you came out of school, if you did have some of this knowledge, that's where you went. It's like, okay, wow, this guy's really good with Photoshop or he can build a model for us. This is cool. We're going to hire him. We're going to make him do that, him or her. And that's what you got stuck doing. And so it was very easy to feel pigeonholed doing more uh, digital work, I, I'll just say digital work, um, the graphic for video. example, then maybe 10 or 15 years before that, you were stuck doing toilet room plans or, yeah. you know, that. So, so the monotony was a little different, say, 20, 30 years ago than it was 5 to 10 or 15 years ago, but it's still a monotony. And, and how do you get sometimes break out of that? And and really, it sometimes you have to leave your firm to do that, which well, is me, 
not great, but that it does happen. I and mean, one of the first questions asked to me when I left uh, uh, one firm, uh, the first question that one of the principals asked me was, how long have you been here? And it was like three years. It was like, it seemed that that three-year time frame seemed to be the time frame that a lot of people left. It's like, okay, I got my initial taste. Uh, I keep doing the same thing for you and I'm good at it. So you keep me doing it. Uh, and you're not really giving me an avenue to uh, break free of that and to grow. So I'm going to leave, and that's my avenue to grow. And that happens pretty frequently, I think. But, yeah, and, it, and it's not in a firm's best interest to allow that to happen because hiring new employees right. is expensive. Right, and, right, right. And so there's two two ways to do this. Number one is you have to be constantly telling your supervisor – or your partners, what you want to be doing, whether you're doing it or not, or whether there's even an opportunity to do it or not, you still need to make it known. People need to know what you want to do. And so you kind of have to decide at least what the next thing is that you want to do. And you really want to try to find somebody who can be an advocate who can help make that happen for you. So if you're going through IDP and you need certain hours in something, this is a great way to gain experience and kind of navigate your way to figure out what you want to do in this profession. And then if, you're, if you've been in the profession for a really long time, same thing applies. If you feel like you've been pigeonholed, you have to ask yourself the question, is it your own fault because you didn't ask for more responsibility, didn't ask to do something else? Are you just sitting around waiting to be told what to do? Right, right. Well, one of the things that I always tell in an I have a lot of, and I've said this before on the show, you know, a lot of times when we get new, fresh out of school people that come to work with our firm, uh, they usually get assigned to me, um, kind of the, the default mentor, which is good because what happens is they pair, they pair me up with, you know, these kids that are coming out of school or hell, there's a guy who's fresh out of school, but he's older than me. And yes, I do have him doing toilet room plants right now. Um, but it's good for him. It's actually, that's all I, that's the one th- uh, thing that I actually need him need to be done on a project. Cause everybody else has avoided doing it. Um, <laughs> but I always tell them you are what you make your profession. Right? Yeah. I you create co- your own reality, up, but right? Yeah. You, what you want out of this profession is what you make it. You have to go and you have to be active in going and looking for additional work. I mean, you can't just go show up and say, okay, I'm here to draw my toilet room plans, or you want me to do some Photoshop work, or you want me to do, you know, some InDesign, you know, layout stuff, and then just collect your paycheck and move on. You've got to be active in actually wanting to shape what you want to get out of the profession. You can't just sit back and and be just the the recipient. You've got to be the active uh, pusher. Wow, that's just a weird way of <laughs> yeah. Way of explaining it, but you, here? <laughs> hopefully you guys don't understand what I'm trying to get at. I totally agree with you about you creating that, creating your own path. You know, creating your own reality. And I feel like maybe something we could talk about is ways to do that because yes. I know for a lot of people that's just really hard to say to somebody, "This is what I want," and because there are a lot of supervisors out there who just don't care, right? And so you you could be in a situation where you feel like you can't even bring it up 
you know, so what could you do in that instance? Um, well, go ahead. I was going to say, you know, one of the things, and, you know, Neil brought it up because he was like, you know, well, three years usually seems about the time frame where people start to move on. And and I've noticed that through. I, I would agree. Yeah. I've, I've now been with um, the firm I'm at now for going on six years, and I've seen a lot of turnover around the two to three year frame. A lot of it is, okay, I've seen... I'm starting to understand what the profession is and I either want more out of it or I want something different. I want a different challenge. And then, you know, there's some that I'm just not getting, you know, I just don't want to do schools or I don't want to do this. I want to maybe try my hand at residential. Well, yeah, part of it is figuring it out what you don't like, right? Yeah, exactly. So it's understandable that as you come out of school, there's that learning curve to really kind of figure out what the profession's all about. Because early on, you really, you may not be able to shape your own profession or what you want to get out of it because you don't really know. So, but as you start to develop it, you know, you say, "Mm, I like doing this. I don't like doing this. That's when you can really start to guide and push yourself into what you really want to focus on. Or a lot of times people will come out of school and they're saying, I'm going to, I want to do sustainability. I want to do these green buildings. I want to do this. I want to do that. And a lot of times we are hopefully Getting to a point in the profession where it's just natural. Every building that we do is a, you know, sustainably designed building, you know, green building, whatever you want to call it. And you won't have to ask to do that. Everything will be that way. But there but, are a lot of clients who don't want to pay for there that. There are a lot of clients that don't want to pay for that. And we can, as we do in our office, design as responsibly as possible without tagging it or labeling it sustainable or green because then they start to freak out about how much more it's costing them when it's really not costing them any. Yeah. You just you call know, it anything. good design. We just call it good design. Yeah. Then they're like, well, you know, I don't want to be here because you guys aren't practicing, you know, sustainable design. Well, it's part of the profession. And so, but there are firms that that totally do that and they only do that and they, yeah. they attract those clients and projects too. Right. And then they attract those, you know, those people who want to work there. Yeah. So, you know, if, if they don't want to work for, say, us because we're not it's out there. It's not like one of your top things. Yeah. Right. We're promoting good design, and through good design, we're doing best practices of sustainability. But, you know, not always. You know, we've got plenty of um, plenty of people who, as you said, don't, pay, don't want to pay for the green label. But, you know, so they want to go and work for the green label, you know, firms. Yeah, you know, which is and, cool. That's a, that's a cause worth it going for right absolutely but you have to again decide to do that yes so that you aren't stuck doing something that maybe you're not good at or you that that doesn't work but for you i think that something that uh, everyone should do uh, if you're working at a, at a firm is there'll always be a review right i mean you an annual review typically uh, right <laughs> there should be hope there should be you there should hope be. So. If, if there's not you need to ask that's a red flag um, yeah. yeah, if yeah. It, if it's not happening, yeah, that that's probably a red flag. Time to move on. Um, but if it is happening, that's your opportunity to talk about what you want to do. So, for instance, kind of, uh, I think there's way smaller opportunities before that too. You well, like definitely. you don't you're not waiting just for that. No, but I'm, I was going to go back to what Cormac was mentioning about uh, you know even sustainability. If that's your big interest, bring that up at that point. Talk about it. Get a feel from that firm 
what their interest level is. Bring is it up in the interview while you're... Yeah, br- yeah I was going to say, bring definitely it bring it up in the interview. But, it, but, but you may not know about that, right? When you first start, you may you may have an interest, uh, but it, anything you may not know about, if, if it comes up or you develop this interest uh, in whatever uh, aspect of architecture it might be, if it's not happening at that firm at the time, uh, that you're already employed. Let's assume we've already been employed here. Bring it up in that interview. Talk about it and gauge the interest level. And there's oftentimes, from my experience, there may seem like there's a great interest level at the time you're doing this review, but then there's no there's nothing to back it up. It's like okay, we need, maybe we need some some capital investment to make this happen, or maybe there's some interest. Uh, but nothing ever seems to happen. Another six months rolls by and, you know, your initiative that you're trying to push just isn't happening. And so you can either make that decision at the time where it's going to happen and maybe I have to wait a little longer, um, but keep that dialogue moving. And that's what you were just mentioning, Evan, is that if it's not happening at the review time that may only happen once a year, but there's nothing to say you can't go knock on the door or send an email and say, you know, I would like to maybe have lunch with you. Uh, you know, one of the firm's owners or one of the principals or the person working up above you, or maybe it's one of your mentors that uh, are, is at the firm. Let's have lunch. Let's have coffee in the morning. And that's what your opportunity to bring that up. That's what we were mentioning earlier in the show about being proactive about doing something and making decisions for yourself in your career, because that's what this is. This is your career. And it's okay if some of you out there don't want to be that active. I have met plenty of people that have worked at firms that I've worked with that are very happy with, okay, what's next? Okay, I have to do this project. Okay. And they sit down and they do it. And they don't make waves. They don't. Uh, they they really don't want a big a big role. Uh, and they'll be perfectly happy drawing bathroom details. Or uh, you know, we always resort to the bathroom details as the worst thing. <laughs> That's horrible. But it, it could be any number of different tasks. But um, you, some people are okay with that. So if that's something you're okay with, do that. It's it's okay. You don't have to be the rebel rouser or the person who's really taking the bull by the horns and just going out there and making a big wave. So uh, that doesn't have to be you. If you're okay with it, um, you can do something different. So I think that's that's perfectly all right. Let me let's do a sponsor break here real quick because I, I want to get right back into kind of maybe some practical tips of how to do that kind of a thing. But first, let's talk about NCARB, who is a sponsor of the show this week, and they're back for a second a second round here. And they have a new little blurb here that we want everyone to listen to because they've got a great new resource online for everyone to check out. So this episode is sponsored by the National Council of Architectural Registration Boards, also known as NCARB, helping aspiring architects reach their career goals. Are you studying for the ARE? Check out the new ARE 4.0 community, a space where candidates can chat with our experts, share best practices, and watch exclusive prep videos. You can join today, and again, we'll have a link for this in our show notes, at ncarb.org slash ARE4community, all one word there. 
That's ncarb.org slash A-R-E-4 community. And I think, Cormac, you tweeted about this, right? It's a Google Plus community? Well, there's both that community and the Google Plus, which is uh, an extension of the uh, NCARB ARE 4.0 community. And so if you're on Google Plus or you can go straight to the NCARB website, they're linked communities where you can reach out to other people taking the test, the experts at NCARB. Um, it's really good. I mean, it's it's very similar to some of the other you know communities that were out there and forums and things. This is one that's sponsored straight through NCARB. So you're getting real-time, real information from the people who are administering the test and you know putting out all of the information for it. So you're really getting frontline information that's uh, top-notch quality to get you what you need to know to prepare you for the next test or the next test and things like that. So and I have to it's say, a really this good is, community. This is a big deal. Uh, it is. It's huge. It this really is, is. This, again, I think I spoke about this last time, but this shows how NCARB is changing the way that they're doing things and responding to what people have been asking for. So yes. this is awesome. It so is. Th- Go ahead, Neil. Just, I was going to just say... Um, as you were talking about this, one of the challenges I had when I first took my exams um, was finding out information. How do I study? What should I study? And how should I prepare? And when I took the exams, they were starting to change. They were moving from the um, kind of uh, holistic sort of exam to breaking it apart into multiple pieces. At least the 12-hour design exam was moving from from one one total exam to uh, six different vignettes, I think they were. But it was still given as a 12-hour building design exam. And it was very difficult to find out any information. So this is very exciting for somebody like myself thinking, wow, what a great resource that NCARB is providing uh, here. And I know that there's there's perhaps some other resources that, that are out there now that didn't exist back uh, a number, a few years back when I took it. But uh, what a great thing that NCARB is, is stepping up and providing a forum like this. So uh, I don't know. I, I, I think this is really exciting and I'm glad to see them doing it and really happy that uh, they're trying to uh, get the word out by sponsoring this show. And so if all of our listeners uh, can uh, can give them a shout out and let them know that they, they heard about this community and, and appreciate what NCARB is doing from, uh, from Arcuspeak, uh, we'd really appreciate that because it really helps us out. Yep, definitely. So thanks, NCARB, for sponsoring yes. the show. So real quick, Neil, um, before yeah. we move on, when you were taking your test... That was like what, the Stone Age. I, I totally I was, get it. I was gonna, what yeah, was the best? And, yeah. What yeah. was the best stone for making wheels? Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> Cormac, you know as well as I do that you forget <laughs> all this stuff right after you take the test. That, Whatever stone yeah. you could find <laughs> was the best. I, I totally get why Neil can't remember that. True, exactly. Was exactly. million years ago. All right, so, so let, let's jump back into this. I have a couple tips for people because this has worked for me, and I think this is probably something that uh, is is common knowledge, but a lot of people don't do this. I'm really surprised. Is if if you have goals and dreams of the things that you want to do, whether it's in the job position you're in or it's ten years down the road, you write them down. Spend some quiet time. Turn off your phone. Turn off your computer. Turn off the TV, maybe go somewhere intentional, pick out five things that you want to do and write them down and then 
put them on a wall where you're actually going to see it. Don't file it away. Don't write it in the middle of your sketchbook somewhere, but put it somewhere where you're going to see it all the time so that you're constantly reminding yourself of what these are. The more you see these things, the more you're going to bring them up in conversations, whether that's with your supervisor or with your colleagues or with your friends, so that people around you know what you want to do as much as you're reminding yourself that you want to do other things. So that's one tip. The other tip is find the right people to hang out with. So whether that's going to be, again, somebody in a supervisor role, or it's going to be people that you meet online or people that you meet at a AIAS meeting or an AIA meeting, there's lots of networking to be done and you can find people who are where you want to go. And I feel like if you can develop a supportive environment, whether it's in your office or not, or whether you feel comfortable doing it in your office or not, there are going to be people outside of that small circle who can help get you where you need to go. And so if you don't feel comfortable bringing it up to your direct supervisor, because for any number of reasons, other places to do this are to start writing blog articles about things that you want to do. You don't have to already be an expert in something to talk about it. You can talk about wanting to, to learn more about it and just start conversations. So those are a couple kind of practical things that I can think of. If you're the type of person who feels like you're just stuck in a rut doing the same thing over and over again, um, and whether you're comfortable or not bringing it up to the people directly around you, I think those are a couple ways that you can start to get out of that. And like Neil said, there are people I think who are perfectly happy staying inside their comfort zone, and that's where they want to be. But I will also caution that that is, to me, what I see is those are the people who get laid off because they're not really nimble. They're not really adaptable. So, uh, word of warning there. All all very true. <clears throat> Let me add, expand on what you were just saying. When you start to develop that that circle of other professionals that are, you know, can kind of help you kind of shape the career that you want, you know, be the agent of change. Be the person who, you know, and if you're not sure how to do it within your firm, you know, talk to these other people, you know, the AIAS, the AIA, the local chapters. I mean, how forums like uh, NCARB, there's all sorts of different forums out there where you can just sit and talk with other professionals. I mean, we've got a great uh, networking community of architects and design professionals on Twitter that <laughs> I feel like it's a couple thousand strong of different professionals that interact with each other on a daily basis to whether it be to vent or to discuss different things. I mean, there, there are tools out there. But so then what it does for me is it energizes me to actually want to do something within the firm and make the firm, you know, either improve on something that we're already doing or maybe offer up solutions of how we could do it better. But there are things out there to basically make, give you empowerment to be the agent of change and help change it. Now, if it's just something, say, in your firm that they're just unwilling to do and it's something that you feel extremely passionate about, you know, then maybe it's time and you know, maybe this is a discussion for later, but maybe it's time to quit. Maybe it's time to move on to something else or, or it's just something that you could really try to have within your own firm to try to make it better for the, you know, make it better for everybody else. But don't sit on the sidelines and don't just um, complain about it in private and say, oh, I really don't like this or I really wish I could do that. Be the one who really kind of pushes you forward. 
Because, I mean, you're the only one who can really make your career what you want it to be. Yeah, you have to care more than anybody else. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of people are sitting around waiting to be picked for the team or waiting to be asked to do something. So when's the last time that you said, you know, I want more responsibility. Here's what I did last time. Here's what I want to do the next time. And again, just being proactive about it and, and asking either asking permission to do it, um, which, you know, there's a 50, 50 chance you're actually going to get to do it. Or if it's, if it's something that you feel like you can just do and then ask for forgiveness later, I think that's a great strategy. A lot of times people aren't even thinking about what you're thinking about. So if you just do it, you're showing that, that you're, you're just willing to try things. And I think that, that that says a lot. So, uh, the other day, um, Thursday, I was, uh, driving home with my son from basketball practice and, um, I have no idea how or why it just popped into my head and I started singing the old Toys R Us commercial, you know, that I don't want to grow up. I want to be a Toys R Us kid one. I don't want to grow up. I'm a Toys R Us kid. They got a million toys and Toys R Us that I can play with. So, uh, he, he looks over at me and goes, is that a real, um, commercial? I'm like, yeah, yeah, it was from back when I was your age. And uh, he goes, you know, I really don't want to grow up. I'm like, oh, why don't you want to grow up? He goes, well, kids be, kids are a lot easier because, you know, then you got to have a job and you got to basically, you know, work just to have money and blah, blah, blah. So we started on this conversation. And, um, you know, I was just like trying to give the fatherly advice, but also just try to, you know, understand where his thinking was coming from. And um, it's something that we've all you know, either heard from, you know, our kids or somebody else or even professionals about, I don't just want this to be a job. I I want it to be something that I enjoy. So that's where I had the opportunity to basically talk to him about the difference between a career and a job. And I think we've kind of touched on it here where we're talking about people who are just kind of going to sit on the sidelines and let it be a job. And it's just for them, a tool for them to get a paycheck, to go in, do what they're told, and then move on. Or the career, the thing that people really enjoy and love and want to do, that's the ones who get actively involved. And what we're hopefully saying is providing options or ideas on how you can be the ones who, you know, really make it the career, really make it something that you enjoy. And so I had the opportunity to really kind of sit down and kind of explain that to my son and tell him what it was. And I mean, I don't expect an 11 year old to sit down and start figuring out he, what he wants to do with the rest of his life. Um, hopefully um, not. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully not. Although, although I will say that oddly or sadly or weirdly already knew at least a couple years younger than him that I wanted to be in the architecture profession. I think, yeah, I think I, I hear that a lot and I think I did too, but I, I didn't even understand True. what that meant. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I wanted to be an architect before I knew what an architect was. <laughs> it's, it's like, yeah, but because you you form this different idea or this idea of what that is, right? And then right. when you get to college, I, for the most part, I would say for most people, it's whoa, this is way different than I thought. Yeah, but it's also way better than I thought. Yes. Um, and so I think it's just really crazy that you can have this urge to want to do something that's way better than you even thought. And see, I'm glad you said that because that's what. I feel is what a lot of people when they're coming out of college. So when we go in, so when we go into college, we have this preconceived notion and then hopefully college 
develops this passion that makes it even better. But then when we go into the profession where, you know, we, after we're done with college, you know, we've got this preconceived notion of what the profession is going to be. And it's completely different. <laughs> yeah. But, like- then, but then there's that, again, equal opportunity to basically foster that passion that you have um, a lot more. And then of course, grow and develop and then get out of the pigeonhole of being the, you know, the guy who comes in and just does the Photoshop or does the, um, the catting and stuff like that. And then really kind of gets involved with it. I mean, we, I know we've kind of sort of not talked about, you know, specific specifics of, well, I'm here and I'm doing schools, but, uh, is this all I want to do? It's not, I don't think that building types are necessarily what pigeonholes us because I was, I was having this conversation with somebody about a project that we're going after and it is, it will be one of the most complicated projects that this office in its 50 years has ever done because of all of the different challenges that are, that the site, the existing buildings, the program and everything else kind of have. And I'm salivating. I'm just, if we get this job, down boy, down. you know, it's, it's mine, you know, I want it. I mean, and I want it because I want the challenges. I want the things. And, and yeah, it's just, you know, I was about to say, yeah, it's just a school. I actually love doing schools, but for me, I get excited about the challenges that building types. And so I don't ever feel that any one specific building type is what pigeonholes us. It's what we do within the process that tends to kind of like, you know, cause there's always downtime, you know, it's like, Oh, I've got to do all of these CDs. Sometimes CDs get very monotonous. Um, but it's a part of the process and I don't consider monotony of, you know, certain processes as part of this pigeonholing. I think it's this almost kind of funk that we put ourselves in that we can never really push ourselves out of because we've kind of, Falling into the blah. Yeah. Does that make well, sense? One, one thing I wanted to bring up, uh, and this is kind of going back to when you're first starting your career, maybe those first few years. Many people feel that, uh, or you may even feel this yourself. I'm doing bathroom details. I'm doing construction drawings. And I'm just, that's all I'm getting an opportunity to do. But one thing I would like to point out about that is in order to do some of the, um, and I'll just, some of the more fancier things. I want to do design. Let's just say I want to do the design, right? That's the fun stuff, right? Uh, that's that's what everybody oh, wants to do. That hurts. Um, I, I, yeah, okay. Well, I, I, I'm kind of paraphrasing that. I'm just kind of saying that, that I, I want to do something. Let's just say I want to do something else than what I'm doing right now. But, what I want to get at is I want everyone to realize that doing those, and I'll go back to the bathroom details, doing those bathroom details is critical in understanding all of the things that go into a building, whether it's residential or commercial, that allow you to design. Because when you're designing, let's I'll say that's the example here. When you're designing, you have to design the bathrooms, right? If you don't know and understand the clearances involved in laying out the bathrooms, which you developed because you spent six months drawing them, if you don't know that, then you can't do the design or whatever design you do 
it is basically going to come back and somebody who's been drawing them is going to come back to you and go, okay, this doesn't work because I need another five feet in each direction. Oh, well, we can't have. My point is, is that doing some of the more monotonous work, and I think we've, we've talked briefly about this in, in past shows, is that you learn the nuts and bolts about how to put together a building, how to put together a set of drawings, how to become useful. How pieces go together. Yeah, I mean, how, it, peacefuls go, how pieces go together. How to be useful for that firm. And I think that's why those first three to five years is really tough because you can't, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah, you, the, the right? older you get, the more you know that the more you don't know. I mean, right. it's it's Absolutely. insane. Exactly. And but, so it takes that time to. And so I encourage anyone who's either just getting out of school this this coming fall uh, spring, or maybe you got out a year or, or two ago, and you're kind of going through this struggle right now with the firm you want. If the firm is clearly not where you want to be or not doing the type of work you want to do, you know, clearly make a change. But if there's potential with this firm um, and, and you like the people, you like the environment, but you have to get through that, that, that tougher period where you're doing more than monotonous work. Maybe you're, doing, you're not going to the meetings uh, you know, beca- because you're, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're the low person on the totem pole, so to speak, and so you're not being able to go. Well, one thing, you, if that's like the case go to your supervisor, go to the project manager and say, you know, I'm willing to donate my time, you know, for that hour, hour and a half or whatever to go to a client meeting. I'm going to shut up. I won't say a word. I just want to be there. Now, the opposite side of that is sometimes the project manager may go, yes, I'd like to do that, but we've already got two other people going and having you go as well we just is going physically to, can't have that many bodies in the room no 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 I hear that maybe, a lot. maybe yeah, you can but here's here's the opposite side of that because i've heard this before and and it is true is that the client may have this perception of holy crap i'm paying for how many people to be in this room right and and so sometimes but that's okay if that is the reason then it's a real you, reason it's a very good reason and you need to know that and if that's the reason, that's okay. Then say, you know, then maybe there's another opportunity, but make it known. Make it known. If there's something you want to do in that firm, and it goes beyond just the monotony part, but once you kind of, you, you, you spent two to three, you spent those five years, and you can grow, you feel you can grow, make it known. You have to make it known. Um, because if nobody knows that's what you want to do, then you're never going to be able to do it. Actually, one of the easiest ways to be able to, to get to be invited to some of those clients' meetings, volunteer to do the meeting minutes. Yeah, there you go. The, the, you'll do something that project, no one else wants project to do. manager will be there. So fine. Write everything down that everybody says. Because <laughs> I find myself, if I'm at a solo meeting where I'm the only person from our office there, and I'm not only having to run the meeting, have conversations about everything, kind of keep the flow going with the agenda and everything else, reviewing old meeting minutes and stuff and taking meeting minutes. That's really hard. And so, soak it up. Just listen. Yeah. And then when you're co- going back and going through the meeting minutes to record all of the meeting minutes, have that conversation with your project manager, the project partner, the partner in charge that's, you know, working on it that you went to the meeting with 
Have a conversation with them about what does this mean or what does that mean. Engage. Have the conversations. One of the things that I also wanted to bring up is if you're if you're unhappy with the place that you're at and you're like, well, I haven't had I haven't really gotten all of the experience that I wanted to get, and you're getting ready to, you know, you you feel like it's time for you to make a move. Think about one thing. And this one thing is what are you going to be bringing to the next firm if you were unwilling to engage and push yourself to learning all of that? Now, there are firms that just they want to pigeonhole you into one particular thing and, you know, you're unable to learn or do that. That's one thing. But if you're unable or unwilling or if, let me say the unwilling to push yourself to learn more but you're frustrated with the place you're at and you feel like you're going to move on to something else, sit back and think about what you're actually bringing to the next firm. Are you bringing the same thing of what you're doing at the other one that's making you unhappy? Or are you bringing in kind of this new reinvigorated spirit that you want to really push to, you know, learn more. So you've got to weigh the balance of, is it going to be more of the same or is this really going to be where my career takes off? Well said. Yep. Yep. Yeah, well said. Absolutely. Well, let's do another sponsor here. Let's yeah. talk about our cat. We were just talking about drawing up those bathrooms, and I can <laughs> think of several examples of uh, times that I've gone to our cat for that, doing that very thing. So would you like someone to draw CAD details for you? Would you like someone to create BIM objects for you or write specifications for you? And would you like this person to do it for free? Well, you're in luck because RCAT has already done all of this. You can search the RCAT libraries for these products and more free of charge and no registration required, which I think is the big one here, to download content. I was just showing somebody this week. They were looking for something, and I said, have you been to RCAT? And they go there, and they said, oh, do you need to create an account? I said, no, and they looked, you know, they, they definitely were interested at that point. Yeah. So RCAT has created a website devoted to you, the building professional to find building product information fast and hassle-free. Check out RCAT today at RCAT.com. That's A-R-C-A-T dot com. And I'm assuming that means architectural catalog, but RCAT.com is a great resource. So everybody go check it out and let them know that you heard about RCAT on the ArcaSpeak podcast. And in RCAT, thank you again, because I looked up and found some acoustic block information. And where was the first place that I went to look? Arcat.com. <laughs> so thanks, Arcat. I, you know, the last thing that I, I wanted to maybe we wrap up the show is taking a different perspective. I feel like the whole episode has been kind of from the perspective of the people feeling pigeonholed, but I, I want to take the perspective of the supervisor position uh, because I feel like it's important for people who are in that position to be good listeners to always kind of just have your ear to the to the ground hearing what people are saying even if they don't directly work for you what is the general feeling of the morale in the office what is the general feeling of somebody who works for another supervisor that you could you could run a play for them you know how can you help people out i think that's really what it comes down to is is how can we help develop people who are feeling like this. And I have several examples, and I, I'm sure you guys do too, but when people leave the firm, 
they're not just leaving the firm. They're, they're leaving you, yeah. right? <laughs> because you didn't provide something for them. And it's rampant in this industry where we have people who are only looking out for themselves and they aren't actively developing employees to take their place or to do their job really well. And I feel like it's a manager's job, it's a leader's job to be good listeners, to figure out where people want to go and then to clear the roadblocks and make it happen for them. So my job is is more than just the things that I do, but it's also how am I helping people get to where their potential can lead them. And that is the opposite of allowing someone to feel like they're pigeonholed. And I, I just wanted to talk about that to kind of wrap up here. Well, one thing I mentioned earlier is if you're the pigeonhole E, uh, you know, talking to um, your supervisor, your project manager, and getting involved uh, that way, whether it's at your annual inter- uh, review or at, at any other time. And I think what Evan is talking about is if you are the supervisor, the project manager, the, the owner of the firm, you need to do the opposite of that, or the you know you need the to be that person. Side of it, yeah. The complementary side of it, yeah, not the opposite, but the complementary side of that. Invite people out to lunch, sit down and have coffee with them in the morning, or walk around the office and talk yes, to people yes. all the time. Exactly, do that FaceTime. It's so important. I yeah. I, I have I, examples of that too. I, where I, I would I say talk to people, and they just they they don't know a thing about you, and yeah. it's and but that's their that's. A supervisor's job, I feel like, is to know their people. Right, right. And I, I'm going to um, expand on that just slightly. Uh, recently, um, I was up for reappointment on the, our local planning commission. And I want to use this as an example in that uh, this was something that I really wanted. It's somewhat of a political process. And you had to get out and talk to the people that are going to be the decision makers in in this process. And so where I'm going with this is as much as you may see yourself, I'm at this firm, I'm doing this job, and I'm trying to do a better job and, and expand my job. These are our, our uh, life lessons that you can apply in in everything that you do. So it's not just getting out and talking to whether you are the uh, employee or the employer, talking amongst themselves, getting to know you. But this also works and applies outside of the firm in other aspects of what you're doing, whether you are a, you know, a den leader at your, you know, kids Cub Scouts, or in my case, trying to be on the planning commission and uh, being involved in my local um, community in that aspect, or just reaching out to the new planning commissioners that have been appointed and getting to know them because you're going to be working with them on a, you know, a weekly or biweekly basis and you need to get to know them so that you, you, know, you can um, work better together and, and reach goals that you're trying to get to. And so these are all, I mean, we may be talking architecture specifically and how do you deal with being pigeonholed at a firm or in your career. Um, but this goes beyond just architecture and it goes out to everything that you do in your life. And, and that may be kind of obvious, but I think sometimes you need to point that out. Yeah. 
it helps to hear it again and again. Definitely. Well, you said it all. We said it all. So let's <laughs> wrap this one up then. If you and I'm just going to uh, say that if you do have questions or comments, please share your experiences. If you were pigeonholed, how did you break out of it? Are you pigeonholed? What do you feel that you can or can't do about it? Come to ArcaSpeakPodcast.com. Leave comments on our on this episode. Uh, reach out to us on Twitter at ArcaSpeak on, on Twitter, which is A-R-C-H-I-S-P-K. But if you've really got a compelling story, how you were successful, let us know. We'd love to put it on the show. So reach out to us at uh, and give us a call. Leave us a message, 415-484-8496. We, we, we enjoy doing that, and we, we've kind of... Uh, nobody's been calling us for a while, so we need some love here. Uh, let us know you're out there. Let us know you're listening. Share your stories with us, uh, and we'll, we'll put it out there for, for everybody else to, to learn from. Yep, that's why we're doing this. Absolutely. That's why Cormac is doing this. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly why. (laughs) Wait, we're not getting paid? (laughs) Dang it. (laughs) No. Hey, and we're getting closer to the AIA convention, so uh, let's get those conversations going about what we're all going to do when we get there. Um, We want to know who's going to be there, who's a listener to the show. We might have some special stuff to to do there. So, So let us know. Tweet us. If you're going to the AIA convention in Atlanta, does anybody want to host us? That's buy right. us some barbecue? You know, <laughs> we're up for barbecue for sure. <laughs> it's totally a paleo. Yeah, let it. Let us know, and uh, definitely reach out and let it, let us know if you want us to be there and uh, what we can do. Uh, what do we, you know? Hopefully, meet up and and do some things there. So yeah, we'd love to meet people. Absolutely. Well, with that, guys, thank you very much. And uh, we want to remind everybody to stay subscribed. And That's right. thanks for listening. Go to iTunes, leave a review. If you like the show, if you don't like the show, email Neil. And uh, thanks again. I appreciate it. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. Oh, you can bet I know, I know